I'd like to thank everybody for joining us here on the Flashpoint Podcast here on Thursday, uh, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, the war in Ukraine continues to drag on. Uh, we are we are seeing slow gains, I guess, by by the Russians uh, against the Ukrainian military, but they're still advancing. Seen some disturbing images uh, of some bombings of apartment buildings and and just general uh, destruction on the ground around the uh, around the country. Um, looks like Ben has to download the new iOS, so that'll just give us a couple more time. I guess we'll uh, take a call in the meantime. Uh, D, go ahead. Hello, you're on. All right. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, so there's been a uh, quite a bit going on, you know, at you know in in this war and and during this conflict and the reactions to the the russian invasion by by the west have been have been kind of varied uh you know i talked about that with with ilhan omar earlier this week as well as you know we've been you know if you've been following the show we've been talking about this stuff for for days now weeks about a month maybe you know we uh, we've had correspondents uh calling in from from ukraine and from poland on monday actually we're going to have uh carol schaefer you may remember her from our show i think a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the refugee crisis and uh and the rise of the far right in ukraine she's in lviv right now which is a city in the west of ukraine and she is uh, reporting live on the ground there. We're going to be talking to her on Monday about what she saw there, what her experience is. Not sure if that's going to be um, a report from Lviv or from Warsaw. At this point, we're not quite sure. It depends on the security situation. Uh, but her reporting has been really just outstanding, I think, uh, from Ukraine. When we were talking about you know, what she was seeing, uh, you know, at, you know, at the train stations and, uh, you know, in, in, in Poland. And, and we were talking, we, we had some people calling in talking about, you know, what they're hearing from, uh, from Berlin that just talking about the human trafficking element to the refugee crisis, the way that people are being taken advantage of almost, you know, in every way possible at the moment, it's, it's a pretty dire situation, I think, uh, for a lot of people. And, and of course the way that, uh, it's being covered is, is, is its own story. Um, but Carol is going to be, you know, able to provide some real kind of on the ground, uh, reflections and, and kind of information in the same way that we had with Jack Crosby when Jack was in, uh, Kharkiv and talking to us from Kharkiv and also from, uh, from Kiev. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to get voices, from uh, journalists who are on the ground there, um, you know, even even if it's still Western voices talking to Western, you know, like, you know, U.S. voices talking to people from the U.S., at least that way uh, we can have this experience where we're talking to people who are actually there as opposed to people just kind of opining on it. 
so looking forward to that. And, uh, and, and we're, I think we're going to try to uh, get some more information kind of on the way that the media has been covering this conflict. You know, there's, there's a bit of a conflagration this morning uh, over the journalist uh, Julia Ayafi, who, uh, you know, uh, said some pretty questionable stuff about how, how NATO and how Europe are, are reacting to this conflict and to this crisis uh, in in a way that I, uh, certainly I, I I took to kind of be excusing the the actions uh, excusing the kind of implicit racism and prejudice behind the way that uh, that people in the West are are treating you know the Ukrainian refugees and the Ukrainian crisis versus the uh, crises and 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 refugees from from places like Syria. But this has been an ongoing problem. Of course, we've talked about this uh, on the show on a number of occasions. Um, I think that when Western journalists, when Western voices are discussing this conflict and discussing it in in the context of other conflicts around the world, um, it you know even even if the intention is not there. Uh, to offend or, or or to kind of whitewash this this kind of racist uh, ideology that kind of underpins a lot of the way that the West is looking at this war. I think that it's important to to be as careful as possible, just because when we are talking about these issues, we need to be speaking about them in ways that are as as neutral as possible and when uh journalists and when uh western commentators are talking about the war uh in ways that uh kind of refer to other parts of the world and other conflicts and uh, uh, conflicts in other parts of the world as if they um as as if the mentality behind kind of dismissing them is legitimate uh, that in itself is is kind of making that argument. So I think that that's something that people uh, need to be very careful about and need to be thinking, uh, you know, very just just need to be taking a lot of care because it's it's the kind of thing where even if the intention is not there and, and I'm not sure that I would give, you know, for example, the person today, I, I don't think that I would give her. Uh, I don't think that she's earned the benefit of the doubt, but even if you do give her the benefit of the doubt, there's just been so much of this. Um, you know, uh, Imran Siddiqui, who's uh, a friend of mine, he's a he's he's the head of care in Washington. He used to be the head of care, uh, the Council on American Islamic Relations uh, in Arizona, has talked about this a lot, talked about how, uh, you know, there's this rising um, anger and prejudice against Muslims in America and Muslims in the West that that is kind of almost like an undercurrent. It's kind of going unmentioned at the moment. And the way that we are talking about the war in Ukraine is is just just more of this. It's it's just more of of this kind of dismissal of these very real concerns that people have. And I think that uh, there's a responsibility on the part of people in the West, uh, in you know, Western media institutions and 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 think tanks and commentators to to be very very careful about the way that we talk about this um 
So we're still waiting for Ben to get that iOS downloaded. Um, just check on that. Uh, anybody has any comments or anything? Want to feel free? D, let's see if we can get this through now and try now. You are still muted. You want to touch that mute button down at the bottom right. Sorry. I tried talking before, but it didn't work. Okay. Um, I was wondering if you were going to ask Ben his thoughts on um, Anders Aslund. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Anders Aslund, uh, for people that don't know, uh, thank you for that. Um, it is, uh, a, a former member of the Atlantic council, uh, where, where Ben works. Um, and he, he said a bunch of, uh, questionable stuff. Um, about Hitler and Putin recently uh, excusing um, uh, Hitler, say, saying basically that uh, you know Putin was worse than Hitler, and and that uh, kind of downplaying Hitler's crimes and and Hitler's uh, horrific um, uh, behavior uh, during World War II. Um, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if if it makes a lot of sense to ask Ben about that, just because, uh, Aslan has not been with the Atlanta council for almost a year now. So I'm not sure, um, if, if that would make a lot of sense. Oh, uh, okay. I, I understand, but okay. I was curious because I think 2016, I heard Anders Aslan in an interview and he was praising, um, Paul Manafort and Steve Bannon. So that's how I first heard of him. I thought he, I thought he was crazy. But then after that, I think he like changed his tune. So I didn't know that he wasn't in, I mean, in the Atlantic Council for a year. I, but okay. I was just curious. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. He left in July. Um, uh, July 2021. I've, I've heard from, um, some people that, uh, the reason that, he the reason that he left was uh was was some other questionable stuff he was saying um i you know i it's it's not really i can't really get into too much uh okay. about that Sorry. but uh um okay cuz i it was a show called background briefing on the local radio station and the host i mean i'm i'm not going to name the host because he just he didn't say anything i don't think he agreed with it but the host also interviewed um glenn greenwald a lot like in the early years before greenwald changed completely or or changed just like i guess he was always kind of bad but the host would ask uh, greenwald about his background and now all those interviews on the the website for the show they're all like gone like I mean, not all of them, but Greenwald's interviews are gone and Anders Aslan, all his interviews are gone. And he was on that show also a lot. So, okay, I was just curious because he's yeah said a yeah. lot of crazy things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Aslan has been has 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 been pretty horrible. I'm going to bring up actually some of the stuff that he said. Um, looks, like oh, okay. be, looks like we're going to be Thank waiting you. For uh, for Ben for uh, a little bit longer, so if anybody else wants to jump into the conversation, feel free. Um, Aslan said, uh, 
Um, I compare Putin with Hitler all the time. I think that Putin went all Hitler on February 24, 2022. Hitler had more arguments for his attacks on Poland September 1st, 1939 than Putin. German minority in Poland and the Danzig Quarter, more historical German lands. Then he says... Hitler recognized Poland but called for concessions. Hitler absurdly claims that Ukraine is not a state. Hitler left the League of Nations. Putin violates every international law there is. Uh, and then this one, which I think is probably the most r ridiculous. Hitler did not use chemical weapons. Putin is preparing to do so. Uh, then he says, piling up the arguments, uh, Hitler appears far worse than – or Putin appears far worse than Hitler. Hitler pursued his – genocide against Jews. Putin does so against Ukrainians. He's starting a new genocide. I mean, there's just so much there uh, to to criticize. I mean, first of all, um, the implication that um, uh, committing a genocide against uh, the Jewish people is, is less bad than committing a genocide against Ukrainians, which I, you know, I, I would question whether or not that's even, a, you know, a fair reading of, of what's going on with this war, which is... Uh, obviously horrific. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty bleak, uh, situation here with the, with the way that this stuff has, has kind of come out. Of course, uh, Michael McFall, the former U S ambassador to Russia, uh, said on, um, the Rachel Maddow show, uh, one difference uh, something I mean they, they, this is what they tweeted out I, I can get the actual quote here one sec um, that uh, one difference between Hitler when he was coming in and Putin Hitler didn't kill ethnic Germans German speaking people then he says a little bit later on Putin slaughters the very people he has come to liberate I mean you know this stuff is pretty ridiculous uh, um I mean, that's just the way that the media is talking about this stuff. And it's it's really creating some serious problems as far as how, you know, we talk about um, how we talk about this stuff. Um, let me guys, I'm going to just pause this for one second here. All right, still waiting. Is possible that we're going to have to uh, postpone Ben coming on. Um, still waiting to kind of figure out exactly what's going on with his his technical issues here. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that the way that the media has been talking about the conflict has been a a, a constant problem here. Um, and and we really need to do some work to 
to kind of figure out um, how we're going to how we're going to cover not only this conflict but other conflicts in the future. Um, and you know, if this is an indication of what that's going to look like. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling too great about that. Um, uh, so yeah, so it looks like we're going to talk to Ben tomorrow. Uh, but I think we'll just, we'll just keep having this chat while we're on. Um, Jenny, go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. I just watched the Oliver Stone documentary about Ukraine that he produced about four years ago. And I just wondered if you had watched it and what you thought of it. You know, I haven't seen it. Um, uh, maybe, maybe you could uh, give me some of the some of the. I'm, I'm not sure what his argument is in it, so I don't really want to comment uh, too much. I've seen like a couple of like thirty second clips, but it's not really the same thing. Yeah, the the main takeaway for me was that he interviewed an attorney who was very involved in the government in Ukraine before the 2014 revolution. And he claimed that it was Joe Biden as vice president who was the force behind the coup that they had in 2014. And that Victoria Newland and just kind of that crowd were very involved in uh, bringing in somebody who that he claimed was a puppet. And I just hadn't heard that before. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's been, there's certainly been a lot of um, conversation around the 2014 uh, Maidan uh, revolution or coup, depending on, you know, depending on uh, where you come down on that um, and, and U S involvement in that uh, as far as how that kind of affected and changed um, the way that Ukraine and the U.S. kind of work together. I mean, there's just the, Ukraine has has kind of in in a in a strange way has been a very important country uh, in in U.S. and international relations for the last three years. I mean, you know the um, uh, Trump's uh, Attempts to push the president uh, Zelensky into um, making these investigations about the Biden family public uh, for purely for political gain, you know, irrespective of of any of the truth or not behind it, um, and then his subsequent uh, impeachment and and uh, but but not conviction over that, um, and then you know you have the. Uh, the invasion here. I mean, this has all been like while Zelensky has been president. Obviously, he wasn't the president after Maidan. He's only been the president, I think, since 2019. So uh, it's 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 not exactly like one to one from that situation. But um, I mean, I think you can kind of like look at that event and and the you know the change in government there, and then kind of line that right up with uh, the. Uh, you know, the seizure of Crimea and and kind of, you know, the, the dominoes that kind of fall when it when, you know, when it brings us, you know, eight years up to now uh, with the with with uh, the Russian invasion of of Ukraine. 
Um, you know, it's not to say that, um, that anything is really like kind of like a one-to-one uh, cause and effect thing, but obviously all of these uh, events are, are kind of intertwined with one another and, and it's important to kind of see them in that way and to understand that, um, that things are kind of complex here. It doesn't mean that, um, uh, that for example, that, that, you know, any, any actions are justified or not on, on the part of, of, of Russia, of course. Uh, but it does provide some important context as far as, you know, why this country has been so important. And, and of course, one of the reasons that it's so important is because of it's strategic position, uh, right on the Russian border and also on, on the sea there. So, um, so again, yeah, so I haven't seen that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I would be interested to, uh, obviously I'll always like to, uh, watch Oliver Stone's stuff, uh, whether or not I agree with it or not. He always has some interesting, interesting stuff to say. And, and I think that he's an interesting filmmaker in that he has kind of, you know, these, uh, these interesting perspectives on, on how to, how to look at the world, um, uh, you know, as I think some of his, his films have been really important, uh, as far as that goes, um, moving on, um, another thing that we published at the newsletter, that's owenhiggins.substack.com, E-O-I-N-H-I-G-G-I-N-S.substack.com. Uh, we reposted something from discourse blog, uh, who we have a partnership with the media is begging Biden for world war three. Um, this is another aspect I think of the media coverage of the war that is really worth going into and talking about uh, the way that the White House press corps has been really, really enthusiastically uh, kind of trying to <laughs> trying to almost like convince the Biden administration to launch military in- intervention in Ukraine has been has been notable. Um, you know, we've heard from uh, uh, you know people at people in the white house, um, you know, talking about how much they obviously, uh, want to see some sort of intervention. It's been, it's been kind of interesting and somewhat, uh, disheartening to watch this, uh, Ryan Grimm, uh, reporter from the intercept, you know, he, he, he did uh, a good job of kind of pushing back on this stuff, but there's only like so much that you can do. I was actually very, you know, very happy to see that, that he was there and that he got, um, uh, uh, called on, but, but, you know, irrespective of that, it's still a pretty disheartening, um, thing. So I'm going to play the beginning of this video or I'll play the whole thing. Actually, this goes up to Ryan's, uh, question. Um, and then, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Zelensky and other Ukrainian officials have made so clear that what they believe they need the most is more warplanes and fighter jets. So why is the U.S. assessing something different? Why does the U.S. believe they know better what Ukraine needs than what Ukrainian officials are saying they need the most? It sounds like, you know, we're pretty dug in on our position when it comes to the no-fly zone, when it comes to uh, the MiGs, uh, despite this growing call, bipartisan call in Congress, to shift a little bit. So, to put it bluntly, is Zelensky wasting his time tomorrow? 
asking for these things. The president's life is going to be speaking to Congress tomorrow. He's been pushing for fighter jets, a no-fly zone. You have to hear some of those same requests tomorrow as well. Has the administration shift, thinking shifted on that at all? though, calling for a no-fly zone. They're a NATO member. They share a border with Russia. How do we view their calls for a no-fly zone? And on President Zelensky's address tomorrow, of course, he is expected to ask for more assistance, as my colleague noted. A lot of the U.S. positions on that haven't changed, as you just said, when it comes to the no-fly zone. But on the aircraft specifically, the Pentagon said last week that Secretary Austin said they do not support the transfer of additional fighter aircraft at this time. Is that still the United States' position? Would a, a strike in Poland on supplies or, or anything, really, uh, automatically be met with a military a forceful response or simply a conversation amongst allies about how to respond? There are reports that a Russian drone made its way into uh, Polish airspace before going back to Ukraine and being shot down. Does a drone into Poland count? Former ambassador to Ukraine, Maria Ivanovich, has been quite outspoken recently, and she said we need to mitigate risk, but it's also true that not taking greater action comes with a risk as well, because Putin is a bully and he only understands strength. Is the president showing enough strength against Putin? Putin were to use chemical weapons, would it change the president's thinking when it comes to these mixed taking the no-flyzone off the table? But at least on the table, you prepared, can you give us any more details about what that threat means of severe consequences? The president obviously made the same threat last week. Is that purely economic consequences, or would there potentially be a military threat? Go ahead. So, aside from the request for weapons, President Zelensky has also requested that the U.S. be more involved. So this is Ryan Graham. ...involved in negotiations toward a peaceful resolution to the war. What is the U.S. doing to push those negotiations forward? Well, one of the steps we've taken, a significant one, is to be the largest provider of military and humanitarian and economic assistance in the world to put them in a greater position of strength as they go into these negotiations. We also engage and talk to the Ukrainians on a daily basis. And the president and this national security team has has uh, rallied the world in being unified in their opposition to the actions of President Putin. So those are the steps we're taking. We also engage uh, oftentimes before and after any conversations that any of these uh, global leaders are having with both Russians and Ukrainians and encourage them to make sure they're engaging with Ukrainians directly. So would Zelensky be empowered by the United States to reach an agreement with Russia and have U.S. sanctions released as a result? Well, he's the leader of Ukraine, so he's empowered to have a negotiation with Russia, and we're here to support those efforts. Again, I'm not going to get ahead of a negotiation, but we are here to support those efforts. We discuss and have conversations with him, with his team on a daily basis. All right. So um, I think that kind of shows the extent to which the White House press corps and, and are are really pushing on this stuff in a way that makes it kind of hard to say that they don't have an agenda here um, and that they don't want some level of war. I mean, it's one thing to hear this from commentators like McFall or people like Aslan uh, or even like, you know, uh, war reporters like like Richard Engel. It's, it's another thing entirely to see a White House press corps uh, just relentlessly kind of take the side of a more militaristic approach um, to somebody who, you know, who I have, you know, no love for whatsoever. 
um, Jen Psaki, but you know, as she is pushing back on that. Um, she is, uh, you know, not, uh, endorsing the no fly zone. Obviously I think it, it, the, the continued pouring in of weapons, uh, into Ukraine from the U S is not ideal. It's not what you want. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that is very different than a no-fly zone, which would necessitate an actual war, going to an actual war uh, with Russia, shooting down Russian planes, attacking uh, Russian positions. It's, it's such an escalation. And I know that there's been a lot of talk about Zelensky asking for this. And you heard that in the clip where, you know, the reporter is saying, how, you know, how do you know better than Ukraine, uh, what Ukraine needs. And look, of course, Zelensky is going to ask for uh, a no-fly zone. Um, of course, he's going to ask for U.S. intervention in this war. Uh, it, it is a uh, political reality for him. Uh, it's something that he politically needs to do uh, for his own political survival. Um, that's quite different. Quite, quite different uh, than, you know, the, the the U.S. or anybody really taking this seriously. And and thus far, uh, which is which is good. Like we haven't seen that. Um, we haven't seen uh, the uh, members of the of the U.S. or 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 members of NATO that would be capable of doing something like this, saying that they're going to do something like this. So. Uh, a slight, I guess, encouraging note, despite, uh, you know, the ongoing relentless uh, uh, warmongering and, and, and war agitation on the part of the White House press corps and, and other media. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I just don't really know, like, how to uh, how to kind of parse that. But I think that I think that it is good that at least we're not considering uh, realistically a hot war with Russia, because, you know, I think it's quite clear what the consequences of that uh, would be. And, and um, you know, uh, I think Jack Merkinson, who, who wrote this uh, piece for me for um, and he wrote it for discourse and that I, I re- reposted uh, and I'm going to quote from him, this hunger for America to ratchet up its involvement in Ukraine. I guess brutal sanctions on the Russian economy and billions of dollars in military aid don't cut it has over the past couple of days found a predictably welcome host in the white house press corps, which has never seen a military intervention. It doesn't like no matter how many of them uh, go horribly wrong on two. Uh, and then a little bit later, he says one after another journalist asked Pisaki, someone for whom I've never had even a char- vaguely charitable word until this moment, whether now that Zelensky had spoken Biden had reconsidered any of his red lines. She was asked why, the U.S. wasn't using every tool it had to beat Putin back and what differences saw between sending anti-aircraft weaponry and fighter jets because one is used defensively and one is used offensively. She replies she was asked repeatedly about the aforementioned MiG jets that the press corps appears desperate to send to Ukraine. At one point, she told NBC's Kristen Welker that she had answered this question approximately 167 times. Here's 168, Welker said. Um, and Welker also asked, quote, is Biden is president Biden satisfied that he's meeting this leadership moment, given that we're now three weeks into this war. I mean, it depends on how you look at leadership, obviously. Um, but, you know, uh, personally, um, I would, I would prefer, um, that 
the president not launch us into a hot war that could quickly escalate into a nuclear war. Um, uh, you know, it, apparently that's not something that um, that the that the mainstream White House press corps is interested in. I mean, you know, it just kind of comes down to uh, what what kind of what kind of opinions and attitudes are expected and desired, and 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 which ones aren't. So, so it looks like Ben's not going to be joining us. He's going to be joining us tomorrow. Um, and I think that we're going to probably cap this here. If anybody wants to call in, though, I'll, 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 I'll leave it open for a couple seconds. Maybe we can get, if, if anybody wants to call in with any comments here. But otherwise, I think we're going to cap it. So I'll give you guys a couple seconds, see if anybody wants to do that. All right. So tomorrow at, uh, at 2 p.m., uh, we're going to be talking with, with Ben Judah. Um, again, a- apologies for that, for those technical difficulties. I will resend out the link. And we will be uh, we'll be all set with that. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for joining us. And um, as always, if you're listening on the app, either live or on replay, please uh, subscribe to the show so that you can get updates live. All right. Talk soon. Bye.